0: Welcome to Behind
1: the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What do governments really know about UFOs? What do UFOs have to do with climate change? Are our leaders afraid to tell us the truth or is there another agenda?
2: Are they in league with... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, hello there, and welcome to the 257th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and the guy asking those many and varied questions was my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. I meant, I meant to say Al Gore, but it was, it was a what? joke. You know, climate change, Al Gore, get it? Maybe just take the rest of the evening off. No, okay, whatever.
1: But before we introduce our very distinguished guest this evening, it's time for our weekly contest, of course.
2: All right, so the question from our last show two weeks ago was, what was the name of the Shawnee chief whose 18th century curse often gets the blame for weird happenings in the Ohio Valley of the eastern United States?
1: Frank Jerzyk from Worcester, Massachusetts, got the answer first. Chief Cornstalk, whose actual name was... Uh, H- Hoc- lesqua I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly who lived from 1720 to 1777 uh, he got the blame for everything from uh, bad crops that year to the Mothman outbreak of the 1960s that we frequently talk about on the show.
2: Great, so uh, this week's question is, in what year did a UFO supposedly crash in a Texas town with the pilot dying and being buried in a local cemetery? Okay, so uh, if you got that right, win we a copy of Light at the End of the Tunnel, a survival plan for the human species by tonight's guest. So call us locally at 401-766-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240. If nobody gets an answer before the end of the show and you still think you have a shot, drop a line to me at ben at behindtheparanormal.com.
1: Tonight we are privileged to have with us again the distinguished author, statesman, and speaker, the right, uh, the honourable Paul. Making you a judge here, the honourable Paul T. Hellier. Mr. Hellier enjo- uh, has enjoyed one of the longest and most varied political careers in Canadian history. In 1949, he became the youngest person to that point ever elected to the Canadian Parliament. He lost his seat in the election of 1957, but returned to Parliament the following year. In 1963, he became Minister of National Defense in the Liberal government of Prime Minister Lester Pearson. A native of Ontario, Mr. Hellyer served at a time of great change in Canada, from the controversial adoption of the new maple leaf flag in 1965 to the contentious unification of the Canadian Army, Navy and Air Force into a combined service in 1968. Mr. Hellyer might have become Prime Minister in 1968, but lost out during the Liberal Party convention to Pierre Elliott Trudeau. He was the senior minister in Trudeau's cabinet and continued to serve in the parliament until 1974. Mr. Hellier uh, has been something of a gadfly in Canadian politics ever since, being an outspoken opponent of globalization and against the militarization of outer space. Mr. Hellier has been interested in UFOs since the 1960s, but it was in 2005 that he publicly came forward as a believer in extraterrestrials, not only as visitors, but as movers and shakers in human history. He has become an outspoken advocate for UFO disclosure globally. He is the author of a number of books on public affairs. In 2008, he won the Paradigm Research Group's Award for Political Courage. His website, www.paulhellyerweb.com. Uh, Hellier was H E L L Y E R. Paul Web dot com.
2: Mr. Hellier, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. It's
0: a real pleasure to be back.
2: All right, so we started our conversation on CBS, the CBS Radio edition of our show, a few weeks ago, but I'd like to review some of the basic questions because this is a different live audience. So, Mr. Hellier, forgive us if we repeat ourselves a little this evening. All right, so uh, when did you first come to believe in an an extraterrestrial presence on Earth?
0: Well, if you're talking about uh, really being, believing to the point where I would say so publicly, not until 2005, that was my uh, turning point when I went from, I guess, agnostic, somebody who thought that they might be real or might not be real, but I didn't know, and uh, during the course of that year, I uh, made a firm uh, decision that they were in real. I had watched uh, uh, ABC's two-hour special, and as somebody said the other night, that uh, of course they have the debunkers right at the end, but I wasn't really listening to the debunkers. I was listening to the former policemen and uh, airline pilots and uh, military men who said that they had had personal experience uh, with UFOs, even flying along their wingtips and all of that sort of thing. And uh, to me, I knew that they weren't lying. At least that was my conviction. But it was in the uh, summer of 2005 that uh, I really decided that they were real. I had a friend, uh, Pierre Junot in Montreal, a young uh, French-speaking Canadian, perfectly bilingual who for some ro- reason thought that I would be a good person to uh, get interested in the subject, and he kept sending me all sorts of uh, papers, documents of all kinds. And I was honest with him, because basically I tried to be an honest person, I told him I didn't have time to read them. But he kept sending them, and uh, he was very patient, and, uh, and he sent me a book called The Day After Roswell by Colonel Philip <coughs> Porcel, former United States uh, um, intelligence officer. I said, that looks interesting. I'll have to read that sometime. But I, again, didn't have time, but intended to take it on a holiday with me the next summer. Couldn't find it. And then in 2005, when I was looking for another book, couldn't find it. There, lo and behold, it's the theater after Roswell's States The the face. So I just took it with me and uh, to the place in the lake's, district north of Toronto, from which I'm speaking at this moment, and uh, started to read it. And I found it intriguing. I, at one point, said to myself, is it possible that this is uh, some kind of fiction? I don't read much fiction, but the previous year I had read a book called The Light Pie. I understand they're just making a movie of it, at, uh, at the present time will be out in a year or so. And uh, I really didn't know until the end. Maybe I was a little tense, but uh, other people have said they got the same reaction. really didn't know until the end whether it was fiction or not. But in this case, I recognized the names of the generals and the bases, uh, military bases, uh, from my days in, uh, in the National Defense, Defense Department. So uh, I was sitting uh, reading one day, and my nephew Philip came along and said, What are you reading? I told him. And he said, well, I'm a skeptic. That's the a free country. You can be a skeptic if you want to. So he went home, and a couple of days later, he said, he phoned and said, uh, um, I talked to the general, told him what you were reading, and he said, every word is true and more. Where can I get a copy of the book? So I told him, by this time I had finished uh, the book and was completely convinced of its authenticity. Strangely enough, for serendipitous I had been invited to speak to a convocation in in Toronto at the university uh, in September. I had absolutely no idea, no thought of accepting the invitation because ufology was not my prime interest or subject. Uh, But after reading the book, I was so convinced that there were so many major issues that really had to be discussed by the people of the United States and the people of the world. That somebody had to speak out. So I decided that I would, and uh, but only after I had told the general. I had met him a couple of years earlier at a uh, aviation uh, uh, show place, and uh, so my nephew gave me his number and uh, gave him a heads up that I'd be calling. I did, and he started the conversation the same way. He said every word is true and more. He spent 20 minutes telling me the more, or some of it, as much as he could without breaking his oath, and said that it included face-to-face talks between officials of the United States and visitors from other planets. And with that assurance, I decided to go public. So I went to the application and uh, and spoke and. Uh, last speaker on the agenda because I was so busy scribbling my notes. I should add, there was one more little complication. I was getting remarried the following week. I had been married to my late wife for 59 years and she had died the previous year. And uh, I had asked the widow of my best friend if she would uh, marry me and she said yes. I phoned her for permission. I think she was a little bit reluctant about it. She certainly would have been if she'd known how it was going to work out. But she allowed
1: me to go ahead. What did your so, best friend have to say about this?
0: Well, my best friend was dead by then. Oh. He'd been, Sorry. She had been a widow for
1: couldn't, couldn't restrain the question. For
0: 14, well, about yeah. 11 years, I guess. And uh, so uh, I decided to do it, and I said that airplanes were, at least that UFOs were as real as airplanes flying overhead. And I meant it, and I believed it. I wouldn't have said it if I didn't believe it. just didn't believe it totally, and I certainly believe it even more so today when I first uh, know a lot more about the subject than I did then, because I consider I was probably in kindergarten, 2005, maybe three, four or five now. Okay, now
1: uh, may we just interrupt the questioning for a moment? We have someone who has attempted to answer our question. Uh, if you would just bear with us for a moment, uh, Mr. Sure. Hellier, this is uh, someone has called in and suggested that the answer to the question, which was when, in what year did a UFO supposedly crash in Texas, the pilot being killed and buried in the local cemetery, supposedly, he the he's giving the answer 1896. Uh, Actually, that's... We're probably going to get in trouble with the rest of the listeners, but should we give it to him? He's, only, he's one year off. One year off? It's not the right answer, though. Well, we, just, we I think we just gave people a 50-50 chance of getting...
2: Yeah, well, he's one year off, so I don't know. Picking All right, well, we actually, pick. it was
1: 1897, but Douglas Berger, who oh, I guess you're from the local area here, uh, we're going to give that to you. Right. So... Uh, Will, uh, you get a copy of Mr. Hellier's book, uh, we'll, uh, if the producer would would be uh, prevailed upon to uh, get your uh, mailing address. We will uh, send you your present. And, and I think that's 1896 is good. Out of all the years in human history, that's not a bad answer. So really, 1897, but we'll we'll give it to you. Okay, thank you very much. Congrat- congratulations, Douglas. Now, uh, Mr. Hellier, I guess uh, Ben wanted to continue with some um, some more questions here.
2: Okay, so. Oh, okay, well, we skipped after that. So you have a long and distinguished career in Canadian politics. When did you go public on UFOs, and what was the public's reaction?
1: Well, we answered that, but when, well, I'm curious about the public's reaction. Yeah, the 05, yeah, when you...
0: September of 2005. Okay. <clears throat> the the uh, reaction of the mainline press, as you might guess, was silence.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It was... Very interesting that they had run articles saying that I was going to be speaking at this, uh, thing that put on by uh, Victor Vicciani and Mike Bird, who are heads of the Exopolitics Institute of uh, Canada. And so there had been two or three articles in the paper, paper saying that I was going to do it. but Then after when I after I spoke, there wasn't a word. And I think actually we've come quite a long way since then. Because uh, there's a lot more in the mainline press uh, today than there was then, and you had Harry uh, King on CNN and, uh, interviewing uh, people about the subject, and uh, there have been mm-hmm. quite a few uh, articles, and uh, a number of people had a press conference in Washington uh, not too many months ago. Yeah, They got quite a bit of mainline press. So I think we've made a little bit of progress in five years, but nowhere near the progress we should make, because what we're talking here about here is one of the most important issues facing the world today, and the uh, American people have absolutely no idea how much money they have spent back engineering uh, the technology that uh, they obtained from crashed UFOs, and uh, what it means. That uh, if they if they knew, I think they would find it mind-boggling, mind-boggling to even speculate what how far along uh, they have come. In 60 years or more but uh, the amount of money would be equally mind-boggling and I think it's kind of interesting down there having this big squabble about uh, increasing the debt limit by a certain deadline in uh, in August
3: Uh, it would be
0: interesting to know how much of that debt is directly due to what they call the black operations that have been going on uh, in the territory of your western states for years and years and years decades actually
2: Good question. Yeah. Well, have you ever talked to any other politicians from around the world about this?
0: Um, see now. Yes, I, I guess uh, I have, but not in the sense maybe that you mean it, not serious talks with, uh, with former cabinet ministers and that sort of thing.
2: Well, no, I mean like off the record.
0: Yeah, well, that it, it, A little bit of chit chat, but ask the odd person how much they knew about what
1: was going on, and the answer was usually not much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Let Let me just interject here uh, to give our phone numbers again. We often don't do that because we get involved in our conversations. We don't tell people where to call, and we probably have a lot of Canadian listeners. We we do have a lot of Canadian listeners, but very often uh, they, they listen to the podcast rather than live. Anyway. Uh, the number locally here in uh, our part of New England uh, and also outside of the United States would be 401-766-1240, 766 um, or uh, in the United States, 800 1240 if you'd like to speak with us or Mr. Hillier this evening. So I just—may I, just, uh, may I interject, interject a question here, Ben? If I may.
2: Well, I guess I was—I we were done with that question. So okay, good. Go nuts.
1: No, I just—well, uh, something. One thing you said, Mr. Hellyer, was of great interest to, to me certainly, and I'm sure to the audience. You mentioned when you spoke with the general, when you met him in person, in reference to uh, Philip Corso's book, uh, *The Day After Roswell*. He said there was—you you talked about the more. What was in the book? Can you tell us about the more?
0: Well, what, what I said earlier was that it was that there had been face-to-face meetings.
1: Oh, that, that was the more, okay. Yeah,
0: between okay. the United States officials and uh, visitors from other uh, star systems.
1: Okay. Well, uh, to, uh, just to extrapolate a bit on Ben's question, uh, we have a lot of relatives in Canada at, at two opposite ends of the country. Uh, when I mentioned that you were going to be on uh, to our British Columbia cousins, they said, how, huh, what? You know?" But in Nova Scotia, they love you. They love you there. Well,
0: I'm glad uh, to hear that. Our cousins... <laughs> I like them,
1: too. Yeah, well, that's it. Well, our cousins in, uh, in the, uh, who were within the shouting distance of the Shag Harbor area uh, thought it was great you were going to be on, and they're, they're probably listening right now on their computers. Uh, but we have um, uh, one or two of them uh, were... Uh, Indirect witnesses to the Shag Harbour event, which of course happened in the late 1960s, and uh, I was going to ask you if you had any involvement with that. Of course, let me just for those who don't know what it is: uh, a UFO landed off uh, the in the vicinity of Shag Harbour, Nova Scotia, not too between Shelburne and Halifax, as I understand it, and was uh, submerged. Um, uh, There were. I guess military divers who were involved, and there was some sort of tracking going on, and uh, the thing apparently moved underwater and then was lost uh, to uh, our site anyway. So, were you involved in that in any way? I know you weren't. No,
0: as a matter of fact, I didn't know anything about it until after uh, 2005.
1: Oh, really? Okay.
0: Because uh, it was just one of the things that I was briefed on afterwards. Okay. uh, After I had gone public, of course, I got. uh, mail from all over the world and a lot of documents, some of them have been highly classified and, uh, and a number of books, probably a couple of dozen books, I think all of which I've read or most of which I've read and Shag Harbor was one of the cases that uh, a lot of people thought that I would be familiar with but hadn't until i learned the facts later and there was a couple of interesting things about that, that this was considered to be a crash originally Mm-hmm. in the water and uh, the ship disappeared and the United States Navy divers were involved in coming up and looking for it and then the thing whatever it was, it disappeared as you suggested and it was never seen again and I guess it was quite a revelation to a lot of people including me that they can travel at very high speeds underwater uh, as well as the extraordinarily high speeds through the air and, the, and the space
3: uh-huh.
0: so they're very versatile machines when we say they I'm talking specifically here about the one that landed or crashed at Shag Harbor because there are as you know and I'm sure most of your listeners know uh, several species and they don't all have the same kinds of chips and they may not all have the same kinds of capabilities but certainly some of them, including that one, had an underwater capability because it disappeared totally. And despite the best efforts of the U.S. Navy, there was no sign of
1: it on the bottom of the ocean. Okay. Uh, The next question is pretty much, you really pretty much answered that as far as uh, American involvement with UFOs and uh, your own contacts information-wise. I'm curious about back engineering. Can you... Do you have any any information about exactly what has been back engineered? Uh, Certainly craft, I suppose. uh, Or how many kinds of craft and what what the results have been? And you know in Corso's book, he suggests that uh, the information and the technology was fed slowly to private industry. Uh, Do you have any information on that?
0: Well, I've had some people confirm that some of the things he mentions are true, that uh, even though they were old ideas, that fiber optics, for example, was one. Hmm. Microchips was probably one of the most important uh, because it just revolutionized our uh, our communications technology totally.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, there have been a number of uh, of discoveries that uh, presumably were either due to the fast vehicles or okay. were enhanced and speeded up the, uh, the development. The lasers, for example, until we were underway, but the I think they certainly took a big leap
3: forward after they uh, okay. had a look at some of
0: the laser applications.
1: From them. All right, we have Actually, a qu- okay. Uh, we have a question from a listener. Is uh, the listener uh, on the line, or is this just a written question? Just a written question, because this is uh, from our caller. Uh, was Mister Hellier familiar with Wilbur Smith, the Project Magnet, uh, the head of Project Magnet in the 1950s?
0: I was <coughs> never met him. And didn't really know anything about him until again after 2005. And I found out he worked in one of the departments that I headed. He worked in the Department of Transport. I became Minister of Transport, I guess, uh, just about at, just about the time he resigned. Um, Retired, I guess is the proper word. And uh, so, I have since seen his top secret, uh, Memo. When I say top secret and top secret at the time. I think it's totally be classified now. Which he said that uh, he was very interested. He was seeking permission from his boss to, uh, to do some experiments in this area because he was his specialization was electromagnetics, and from what he knew about the craft information he obtained from Washington, uh, this. There's a certain uh, parallel between the experiments that he and his section were doing and the characteristics of the ships that were reported to be coming to, uh, to Earth. So he got some information through the Canadian Embassy in Washington to the effect that uh, first, UFOs were real, period. There was no question about it. And that subject was the most highly classified in the United States, even above that of the hydrogen bomb, which is you know, right up the top there, which was above the top, mm-hmm. and that uh, they had, didn't use the word back, engineering. Well, the United States was very interested in the subject, I guess is the third point. And the fourth one was that uh, they were already starting to look at the technology and find out what they could learn from it, and they had a group headed by Dr. Vannevar Bush, one of America's uh, foremost scientists. And this was the way back, you know, in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. So these, these uh, efforts to duplicate or replicate the technology have been going on from that time uh, at least forward. And you have to wonder what can be accomplished in 60 years. Uh, one of the uh, interesting uh, just uh, as you are tuning in. Mm-hmm. Rhode Island was mentioned. Really? One, one of the uh, alleged whistleblowers who worked in the, uh, the facilities in Nevada and Arizona said that the underground facilities out there were about the size of Rhode Island getting bigger all the time.
1: Yeah, Rhode Island is the standard size for global measurement, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so. so I, um, I found that first mind-boggling. I, you know, it's hard to, hard to believe but there sure are a lot of underground facilities out there—not just one, but uh, but several—and they employ a lot of people and they consume a lot of tax dollars.
3: That's I amazing. Think they have
0: accomplished a lot, but I'm not sure that all of it's good uh, because I think they've been developing some diabolical weapons. So
1: well, there—well, that, that's true. There are mem- members of Congress who we know some, you know, who have been uh, questioning this and just get stonewalled. Oh. And I'm sure the same thing happens everywhere. Well, we're going to take a commercial break, and we'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and onworldwide.com. And we'll continue our conversation with the Honorable Paul Hellier. Okay.
3: ON oh, Radio, ON oh, Worldwide.
0: Hi, Rick Pickard here. The great sounds of rock and roll is back. Every Sunday from 1 to 4, Memory Lane will be playing songs from the 50s and early 60s. Be part of the great memories and sounds. See you there.
3: O-N Radio, O-N Worldwide.
1: And I just wanted to mention Amazon Kindle. Amazon.com is well known to everybody. It's a tremendous retailer of online books and DVDs and all sorts of other things. And they have a marvelous e-reader, electronic book reader. You can just hold it in your hand and literally download books and magazines and newspapers from all over the place. Uh, Coming up on a million of these, including for my own books. And I just wanted to say that you should check it out. Uh, Any of the um, uh, Amazon.com website certainly will give you information about the Amazon Kindle device it's uh, as low as $139 maybe lower now since our last information and it's also being sold i believe at Staples as well the office supply store and it's a wonderful investment for especially for the summer as you sit on the beach or in the under the trees in the uh, national parks <laughs> of our great continent you can certainly Enjoy Any book you'd like, pretty much anywhere, anytime, without the expense of these $4 a gallon trips to the bookstore or from having to buy the books. The books themselves are about half price or less than the actual retail copies of the, of the, the printed editions. So check it out, Amazon Kindle. And I also wanted to mention something of extremely local interest here in the Blackstone Valley of New England. And uh, usually in New England we have clam bakes. But here is an example of a pig pickin'. Now, if you're like me, I, didn't, I I had to be in... If I were I'm not married to a South Carolina bell, I would not know what a pig pickin' was, because you don't usually have those north of the Mason-Dixon line, but this is a pig pickin' barbecue at St. Michael's Ukrainian Orthodox Church, southern-style pig roast. And uh, this uh, tickets are on sale now for this at uh, the church in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, here where we uh, broadcast from. Uh, the event will take place on Sunday, July 17th, And that's from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Next week, Uh, the pig picking uh, is a significant part of the culture of the South, and the Senior Ukrainian Orthodox League at the church is presenting this cuisine to the Woonsocket community as a means of raising funds for their organization, dedicated to the church and devoted to the youth. Anyway, the menu will include uh, pulled pork, southwestern-style chili, cowboy beans, cornbread, Coleslaw. I'm going to show up to see just what, what half this stuff is. Uh, pastries, and there's an optional children's meal of a hot dog and beans. I know what that is. Anyway, uh, reservations are limited to 200 attendees. Tickets are $20 a person uh, for adults and $5 for children, 12 and under. And uh, I know that's of strictly local interest, but hey, if you want to come from Los Angeles or Toronto or, or, or uh, Nunavut or, or, or Florida or anywhere, they'd love to have you. So, again, uh, check it out at... Uh, www.stmichaeluoc.org saintmichaeluoc.org Okay, very good. So let's get back to our guest, uh, Mr. Hellier, And I think, uh, Ben, have you, you have more questions.
0: Of course, I always have questions. I, I have <laughs> one that you just raised in the commercial. It's on the Kindle. And I saw my first one over this last weekend. My daughter-in-law has one. Oh, really? Yeah, and of course she... I had to
1: go look up my books. Oh, very! You know, that's a great idea. Look up Mr. <laughs> Hellyer's books too. Many, many books so, on public affairs. So
0: we won't compete, but we're, we're parallel. Then.
1: Well, we're on the same sure. team with the Kindle here. And so one, I,
0: one of my books, of course, you've mentioned already, was Light at the End of the Tunnel.
1: That's going to be the Revival prize for, for our guest.
0: Human species, and the other one is uh, is called A Miracle and Waiting, Economics of Common Sense. And boy, could some your people in Congress ever use that today? If they would just take time to read it. And, uh, and well, if they if it they it can
1: says. read, not to be insulting to our Congress, but they're but they're not held in very high esteem in this country at this at this point. Most of them.
0: A, a word about the uh, light at the end of the tunnel. It has a long chapter in it about uh, uh, the extraterrestrial presence of technology, and uh, it's sort of a primer. So if you have uh, friends who or skeptics or agnostics why this would be a good place for them to start excellent because I have uh, included a lot of interviews that I've done with people who uh, have been in the business and they include uh, interviews with people that have been abducted and uh, who have brought back information and who have brought back information that's important to the future of the world to uh, too, uh Jim Sparks is one, for example, who has really been abducted more times than just about anybody. And I have a long quote in my book from him, with advice from the extraterrestrials that he was talking to about what we should do to save our planet. And they're very concerned about what we're doing to our planet. They think that we're uh, that we're blowing it, and uh, I've. I, don't usually plug my book so much because uh, I'm not in the business of selling books. I've never broken even on one yet. But if you want to know what's going on in the world and who's pulling the strings and why so much has gone wrong and then what has to be done about it, my light at the end of the tunnel, a survival plan for the human species, is a good book for you to take. Either and it's a uh, hard copy or. or <clears throat> soft copy uh,
3: mm-hmm.
0: form or by electronics, by the way, but it would be a good read if you really want to know what's going on in the world and why things are in such a mess today.
1: Very good. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, of course, you know we, we, um, we disagree with you a little bit on uh, being sure of the intentions of some of these, and we'll get into that later, but while we're on the subject of your books, uh, why don't you tell us about uh, the rest of them, because they're all very interesting and very valuable. Well,
0: they're... Most of my books are, uh, are not in print. Uh, I wrote one called uh, Damn the Torpedoes, which was my fight to unify the Canadian Armed Forces. And uh, that's a, a very interesting book for anybody who wants to know how government works. And I guess the, the lesson from it is how difficult bordering on impossible it is to change anything of significant in government. So, you know, people can get elected and say they're going to do marvelous things. But when you start fighting the bureaucracy or the mm. government, as uh, uh, the editor yeah. of um, Harper's Magazine says, a oh, you're, you're fighting against uh, formidable odds. And anybody that tries to run the United States is going to run into that kind of resistance, especially on the financial side, because Wall Street's been running your country for yes. decades. And uh, they're still running it. I want to continue it that way? And uh, as long as they are, well, heaven help you. That's all I can say.
1: Yeah, indeed. Uh, I certainly echo that. Okay, well, back to our questions then. Ben, take it away.
0: All right. So several
2: several of the United States Air Force people who experienced the Reynolds from Forest incident in 1980 are convinced that these were travelers from the remote future and not space aliens. Could the real explanation of UFOs at least be that in some cases?
1: I know you've answered this on the other show, but we're going to repeat it for the, this audience. i uh, move that
0: again because I sort of missed a little bit of it.
1: Okay, we're going to repeat it.
2: Okay. <coughs> okay. So the people who were in the United States Air Force during the time of the Renaissance Forest who were there, the Renison Forest incidents, yeah. so they believe that the UFOs were remote travel or travelers from the remote future. So could aliens be travelers from the remote future and not space aliens at all? Or some of them, at least. Yeah.
0: Well, this is getting in pretty complicated stuff, I don't know, but Colonel Charles Halt, who was the deputy commander of the twin bases there, I interviewed him at great length, and I have his interview in in my book. And I guess the... The important well, there are a lot of important things about his interview. One, it, it sort of tells what people start out thinking when he left the uh, the best dinner or at least the Christmas dinner to go out and, uh, and look for himself at the second sighting, second or third or whatever it was. He said, uh, "I was going out to put an end to this nonsense once and for all." and Of course, it changed his life totally. He has since said, and he was one of the people who was at this press conference that I alluded to in uh, Washington not too long ago.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So I don't think there was any doubt about the reality of the situation. I think what is uh, is questionable is, is how advanced some of their technology is, that they can change form. And other people who have, uh, have witnessed, you know, up to so on, and found that some of the species anyway can one minute look like something and the next minute look like something else. And the thing that blew my mind from the Brendelsham Forest case was that this one ship uh, seemed to started giving off metal and then all of a sudden exploded into five light bulbs. Mm-hmm. And uh, as Paula Harris says in one of her books, how do you talk to a light bulb?
1: <laughs> and, she never told us that
0: but, Yeah, yeah. And, and, I don't know the answer furthermore I don't know anybody else that does either mm-hmm. but it, of course this brings us into such fascinating things well, it, <clears throat> if we all know that light and energy are interchangeable sure and so it shouldn't surprise us too much if there are advanced technologies where you can switch back and forth from one to the other well
1: this leads us really right into my question, which is if and we got into this a bit on the last show, but if the technology of this kind is so bizarre, you know a solid object seeming to break into smaller ones and you know the mold the uh, what halt described also to us as molten metal looking like it was dripping from the craft, and all this, right. things that we just're they just beyond our understanding technologically maybe. The, the, the moral, ethical, spiritual, whatever standards of these people are just as far beyond us. I mean, are we sticking our necks out with movements such as the exopolitics movement, I know we, of which you are a supporter, and the exopolitics movement is the idea that cooperation, law, goodwill should extend beyond Earth to include these visitors, if that's what they are. I just, you know, I. In 40 years of working in other areas of the paranormal, I've learned not to trust these things. And I'm just curious why you feel that these aliens, if that's what they are, can be trusted.
0: Well, because uh, I have no reason not to, I guess. That's the the substance of it. Our last uh, broadcast, you raised the question of Dr. Hawkins. Yes. And I took exception to what... He was saying because he said some things that he wouldn't have said if he had been as knowledgeable as, as we all are. He, you know.
1: Well, he also he, thinks God is a fairy tale. I think the problem is that Stephen Hawking thinks he's God, and maybe yeah, that's the problem.
0: He said. He said, uh, and I quote from a report from his documentary that uh, most of the uh, extraterrestrials, if there were some, would be similar to microbes or small animals. But then he added that advanced life forms may be nomads, including looking to conquer and uh, and dominate uh, new planets to colonize them. And I guess my reaction was, first of all, if he, had, if he was familiar with the species that are here, and there are and some quite real differences between them. I think we discussed the tall whites on the previous show, didn't we?
1: I believe so, yes.
0: Uh, well, you know, they are so much like us that some of the women were able to go into Las Vegas and shop and not be recognized. And uh, so there's there are, there are great differences. But two things. One, I think spiritually they are more advanced than we are. This is the general trust of what I have been able to learn from reading all sorts of people, including Dr. John Mack, who hmm. was so deeply involved in uh, talking to people who had been abducted and so on. And secondly, they could have taken us over anytime they wanted to, in the early 50s or 60s at least, maybe even now.
1: How do we know they didn't?
0: How do did we know they didn't? Hmm. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think because we're doing the same stupid things that we've been doing <laughs> for, for yes. decades, the, the, in the United States today, you just raised an interesting point. The, the, the policy that the Congress is trying to ram down the throats of Americans today was exactly the same one that was done in the 1930 and 31, 32 depression. Hmm. And we'll have exactly the same result. You're right. What they did then extended the depression to 8 or 9 years mm-hmm. and what they're doing now will extend the recession depression or whatever you want to call it for far longer than it needs to go and what the only thing that bailed them out in the 1930s was a war mm. when governments started borrowing more money like mad to fight the war and this of course is part of what the international monetary cartel really likes, they love war because governments start spending money like crazy and borrowing it from the banks who make it created out of thin air and then have to pay it back with interest. So you've got all of this fantastic debt all over the world because practically all of the money is created as debt. And poor British, for example, they're still paying interest on the, on the bonds that they took from the Uh, money class at the time of the Revolutionary War in the United States.
1: Goodness, I didn't realize that.
0: At least you folks have had enough, had enough sense once, Lincoln, not to make the same mistake again, but then you reverted right back, adopted the British system, and have run up this fantastic debt, none of which was really necessary. Yeah. Simply because you sold, your Congress sold you out to the Federal Reserve System, well, nine years ago and you've been suffering the consequences ever since.
1: Well, the question might arise, uh, leading us right back you know, from the economy into the the uh, alien presence. If this alien presence is real and, and relatively pervasive in certain circles, uh, is there a connection between the mess we're in and the aliens, either from the viewpoint of them causing it or them being able to help? And I'm talking also about global warming, which you mentioned in your book.
0: Well, I... I don't think so, but the, if you want to get into the spiritual aspect of things, that there's no doubt in my mind, and I certainly state this in the book, that there are forces of good and evil that extend far beyond the, ba- the boundaries of the of, uh, earth. And so we can be getting advice, as we, as we do, from voices that can tell us to do good things or tell us to do bad things. And, you know, take a guy like Hitler for example. The people he listened to, the voices that he listened to, told him to do some absolutely horrendously horrible things. And other people that I know who are going out uh, giving food aid to the, to the refugees and, uh, and doing operations uh, on people's eyes and so on for free and trying to do good in the world, trying to do right, use the word righteousness if you want to because that's just doing right but there there are people who are doing right and there are people who are doing wrong and if you want to say well these influences come from outside of the uh, from the planet <coughs> well i wouldn't want to argue with that because i think they're we're getting both messages and the, and the question is which uh, which uh, <coughs> wave band you tune in on
1: yes that's a problem we all have, I'm afraid. Uh, you know how to interpret, you know, various messages in various directions, saying different things. It's um, part of the human conundrum, I think. Uh, now, I just wanted to, you, you yourself have had a UFO experience, if if only once. Could you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, I saw my first one last October, and just from the the uh, drive- driveway outside of the building I'm sitting in. It was a uh, October night, and my wife went out in the patio to uh, to take a look at the stars and couldn't see anything because of the trees or the wooded area. And then she went out the other way to the driveway, and for some reason or other, just to be sociable, I guess, I put on my hat and followed her out. She looked up in the, uh, the, the western sky and said, oh, there's a star. I looked up and there it was. For some reason, I turned around and I said, Look to the east. I said, Hey, there's one over here that's far, far brighter. Take a look. That began 20 minutes of nearly breaking our necks looking up at this thing, which would change position in the sky two or three degrees in as many seconds. And we started eliminating things. Is it a star? No, is it a satellite? No, is it, is it the space station going by? No, because it goes by much faster than that. And I checked that out after I got back to Toronto. And it, was, it couldn't have been anything but a UFO, which is not surprising because in my book, I have a picture of one that was taken by our, from our dock just 200 yards away uh, about uh, two years ago, I guess. Then there was a sighting here at our place uh, about 15 years ago, and some of them we used to operate it as the uh, little tourist resort,
3: hmm.
0: and about a dozen of our guests were having a bonfire out on the, on the lakeside, and they saw this thing zooming around the southern uh, side of the lake, and reported it in the morning, and uh, Two or three of them, I think, had been tasting a little bit of Jack Daniels. And so uh, there was a fair amount of skepticism. But there were three people of the, of the people who were there, three of them probably nine or ten, who didn't drink a single thing, absolutely totally. They saw exactly the same thing. They said there was something. And they described how it moved, and it moved the same way as the one I described that we saw last October.
3: Okay. So Ooh. there,
0: there was a, also there was a landing not far, about 10 miles from here that, uh,
1: A landing? Now. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the lake you referred to, was that Lake Ontario?
0: Oh, this is Lake Muskoka.
1: Oh, alright. I know where that is. Okay. About
0: 120 miles north of, uh, of Toronto and Lake yeah, Ontario. Yeah. And there, there have been a lot of sightings up here. There's a little lake called Skeleton Lake just north of, uh, of the Muskoka Lakes. And the, person I know in Toronto whom I rent my office space says they see land, they see uh, UFOs in the sky all the time
1: okay well there is uh, one question that kind of bothers us a lot go ahead Ben
2: alright so if aliens have good intentions uh, why the abduction phenomena and ruined people's saying uh, they ruined people's lives as a result well you
0: you know <clears throat> the rumors and I've I suspect they may be true, that there was uh, some sort of a treaty between the United States and one of the species. And what we don't know until we get full disclosure is whether that uh, treaty authorizes a certain number of, of abductions. And if so, how many? And the sort of the theory is that this one species had been an engaged in genetic engineering to the point where they had nearly genetically engineered themselves out of existence. And they had to look for some new genetic material. And that's one of the reasons that they are here and uh, and to exchange technology uh, for that particular uh, thing that they needed very desperately for continuation of their own species.
1: That's... um the implication there is, I mean, obviously, species, individuals of different species cannot mate unless they are very, very similar uh, DNA-wise. So the implication here is that these are these people are very, very similar to us. Is that what we're talking about? Well,
0: I'm not a geneticist, so I can't say, but I, I do know that they allegedly they have uh, managed to uh, create a hybrid species. Why? Well, I guess to continue... There. To continue...
1: The, okay. Yeah. All right.
0: And, and going back to Ebert Smith and the contacts that they had back then, they, they got the distinct impression that the visitors were here to help us, to teach us a better way of doing things, to revolutionize our way of doing things to so that we would abandon wars and fighting and uh, killing each other and all that sort of thing. And, have more of a a heaven on earth and uh, Ebert Smith was intrigued and wrote some beautiful things as to what he thought was possible if we would listen and my concern I guess this is just one more reason why I think Congress has got to demand full disclosure uh, and the sooner the better my concern is that we haven't been listening to the people who really wanted to help us And we're going to have to stop shooting them down and trying to and uh, start listening and taking advantage of what they have to teach us, uh, particularly uh, in the realm of medicine, for example, and agriculture, which is becoming a problem uh, on earth with all the people we've got to feed. And there are better ways of doing things that are available to us if, uh, if we would just... Cooperate instead of, uh, well, the, the, the this,
1: the empty. yeah. Well, the, the, this theme extends throughout the entire history of the human race if you listen to certain writers. Uh, but the, the, there's the sort of the Prometheus syndrome, I suppose you might call it, where some benign visitor gives us fire instead of warming ourselves. We go burn down our, the enemy's village or something.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know if it was a benign being that gave us atomic bombs or not. But I know no visitors are really. Yeah. There I seems to be a time.
1: double-edged sword here, that's, that's all we are oh, saying.
0: Absolutely, there's always the good and evil. You can use the stuff for positive purposes, or you can use it to destroy the world.
1: Now, you mentioned a treaty. Do you have any evidence between us and the, them, so to speak? Are you, do you have any real evidence this treaty exists?
0: Uh, no, but I've heard it from so many people, different walks of life, that I don't discount the possibility that it exists.
1: Well, if they were to uh, violate the treaty, who's going to stop them?
0: Well, let me put it the other way around. Allegedly, uh, you have violated the treaty because it involved the disclosure clause, and this was not lived up to.
1: So we're in trouble.
0: Well, if you...
1: We we have enough strange things that happen in relation (laughs) to these shows. Uh, But, uh, well, we'll we'll keep you posted on that. Okay.
0: Uh, I I I have some... Things in, to say in my book, "Light at the End of the Tunnel," uh, <clears throat> survival plan for the human species about how we've been killing each other for fighting for a long time, and suggesting that that's a good area that we're going to have to clean up our act on too.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we've again open as we always do, open up uh, tremendous areas here for for further discussion. But there are all sorts of ideas on why. Aliens would try to help. I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Uh, I've heard one that says that they messed with our genetics eons ago and feel guilty about the result, uh, all the way to wanting to save us from ourselves just to protect the galactic neighborhood. And I'm sure you know Stan Friedman. And Stan believes that uh, they they have been watching and attempting uh, to prevent us from taking our warlike tendencies out into the galaxy. Uh, What's your opinion on, on that? Is it just the genetic thing, as you mentioned? Or is there... More to the, uh, their, their reputed, uh, good intentions.
0: Well, than I, the... I think it's, I think it's just, the, that's just a small part of it. I, I think that they're, for the most part, uh, that the species are benign. And if there is one that isn't, then I would like the people who are in the loop to tell us who it is and why they have come to that conclusion. Because I've never heard of a case where the, visitors have shot first it's always been the other way around with our warlike tendencies live we've, we've tried to shoot them down from day one yeah and uh, so I, I just think the time has come when we earthlings are going to have to learn from others and uh, change our ways in order to save our own planet and our own future for uh, for our grandchildren and great-grandchildren
1: Okay, very good. Well, I'm afraid we're running out of time here. It is. It is. You are a wonderful guest. It's always a pleasure. And why don't you tell everyone about your website?
0: Yeah, one, uh, I haven't told them about www.victoryfortheworld.net. That's the website I'd like you to go to. Oh, and sure, okay. You can uh, download the speech I made in Arizona uh, in February, which I would recommend to you. Mm-hmm. You can get some good ideas for books. There are action plans for Canada, the United States, and the world. And if you want to help do something about to save your country and to change the system and not to have to worry about the debt, whether it's going to get bigger or not, uh, <laughs> yeah. go to www.victoryfortheworld.net and uh, start off from there.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being with us, and I'm sure we're going to continue our discussion on future shows. And um, good luck and Thanks God for bless. for having me. Thank you. All the best. Okay. Now, I just very quickly wanted to mention an email that we, we received, and just as an example of what you should not do. All right. This is someone who right, writes fascinatingly that he's had a lot of strange experiences at certain points, and he has uh, captured some of these on a digital camera, wanted to know if he'd like to send, send them to us to look at. We'd love to, to um, see those. But this person does not mention his or her name, where he or she is from, and does not put an email. This is on the form on behindtheparanormal.com by which you can ask questions. So we certainly would ask, please, when you submit the form, please do not forget to put at least your name. You don't have to put where you're from, but we like to know at least the city, state, province, whatever, country even, and the email address at which you can be reached, because that's, otherwise we, just, we don't even know how to respond to this. So whoever wrote this, if you're listening, please by all means send us this material and send us your contact information. So in the meantime, uh, thanks to our producer, Steve Bianchi, and we'll see you right here on Monday, July 18th, when we welcome paranormal researcher Dale Kaczmarek. We'll discuss his ideas on dealing with ghosts.
2: All right, in the meantime, tune into our CBS Radio Edition in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle online at www.newskyradio.com and on your iPhone with the AOL Radio app. On Sunday, July 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, when my dad and I will have an open line show to catch up on our ever-growing stack of emails. And remember, you can always get free podcasts of all our shows, along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com.
1: And we leave you with a word from Major Donald E. Kehoe of the United States Marine Corps from 1953. Quote, with control of the universe at stake, a crash program is imperative. We produced the A-bomb under the huge Manhattan Project in an amazingly short time. The needs, the urgency today are even greater. All right,
2: so thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time.
1: Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal
0: with Paul and Ben Eno.